we're going to continue our series. We've been doing a series on reimagining foundations, the basics. And what I've drilled down on over the last probably five weeks, I think it is now, is what it looks like to be a disciple of Jesus. What does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? And, and what does that look like? And I've tried to make that as practical as I can. And we've looked at things like we defined what a disciple is because often it's not what we actually think in our minds. I don't know about you, but for many years when I thought of disciple, I kind of thought super Christian. You know what I mean? I thought there was like Christians and then there was disciples. <laughs> uh, but actually a disciple is simply teachable. It's a student, someone who's ready to continue to grow. How awesome was Kai's testimony? I just, I love that testimony, Kai, because... We've all, everyone who knows Kai has seen the growth in him because he stayed open and he's got such a teachable heart. And I mean, just the fact that he is in front, oh, there he is right there in front of me. He's in front of a camera speaking to people. When Kai arrived, it was hard to say hello, wasn't it, Kai? For us, it was like, this guy is so quiet. Now he's on the front door doing interviews that would make Mike Willisy proud. Oh, that was a current affair. That's before your time, so... Shane Stiles can barely remember that one. So, but it's just great. And it, it comes from an open heart. Kai's got a disciple's heart, just a, a desire to grow and to learn and to stay open. Uh, and we've looked at things like the disciple's focus, which is seek first the kingdom of God. We've looked at the spirit of a disciple. We've looked at the disciple's power source as Pentecost and the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Bruce. True true. And, uh, and today, uh, I want to move it on and we're at week six. Week six. Now, yesterday I got two phone calls um, and, and not unusual phone calls, I guess, in the life of a church leader like myself. But uh, one was from, from people very dear to us that are facing a, a huge health issue, a health hurdle. And uh, it's a difficult thing. It's a really difficult thing. And, uh, and not long after that, uh, I, I had a phone call with, uh, uh, concerning a marriage that is really, really, you know, going through tough and difficult times. And, and it's funny, but you get off the phone from stuff like that or, or whether that's an interview or a conversation somehow, and you can feel really helpless. You can just feel like, oh man, like... What do you do? And I must admit, and, I've, I've, and this is why I'm sort of introducing the topic this way, my honest thought was, at least they've got Jesus. But not in a, you know, not in a shallow, console yourself kind of way. It was actually in a, well, at least they've got Jesus. Because I tell you what, over the years, and I guess I have been uh, doing this form of ministry for, for close to 30 over the years, I've been with people that don't have Jesus, that are facing the loss of a child or a spouse or major illness, and, and it's different. I've just got to say it is. My love is the same. What's supporting them is different when you don't have Jesus on your darkest day. And I guess it just highlighted to me all over again the importance of the mission of a disciple. Yeah. 
what God has called us to, is to bring Jesus into people's world. And if you look at it, God entered the pain. Our message, our story meets those kind of needs, those very human hurting needs. Our message meets it perfectly. Our message is that God's Son became flesh and dwelt among us, was not distant, was not discompassionate, was not isolated from human pain, rather than just look at it from afar and kiss it goodbye and and go, well, that's just too bad for you. He actually took on flesh and entered our pain. The writer of Hebrews says we don't have a high priest, talking about Jesus, who can't sympathise with us because he's been tempted in all points as we are. And that word tempted there literally means to be tested. Tested in every way, every trial, every pain that could come toward a human being. Jesus understands it and can sympathise with it because he's been there and he's seen it. He's felt it. He walked the dusty streets of Palestine. And he was affected by it. The gospel writers in several places say that he was moved by compassion and he fed them or he healed them. He was moved by compassion. And so in a very human story that we all are a part of where there's not always great days, some days are difficult, some people live difficult lives, not just days. God's not removed from it. He entered into it. And yes, we believe him for deliverance from it. And God is good all the time. But his timing's not ours and our lives are full of paradoxes. And sometimes we have to take his example of actually walking through the pain. Scripture says, for the joy set before him. It wasn't for the fun of the moment. It was for what he could see in the future. And of course, that is the hope that when you get Jesus, you get this secure anchor of your soul. The Bible, literally, the writer of Hebrews again, says we have this hope. It's a future thing. It's not a now thing. But this hope burning in our hearts, that's an anchor for our soul on our best day. Often we don't even think about it on our best day or on our worst day, when we need to tie our heart to hope. So I want to talk to us about the mission, or the disciples' mission. The mission of a disciple, or the disciples' mission. And what God has called us to. And and as I do this, I do want to define mission just before we get to Scripture. Simply out of the English dictionary, a mission means an important assignment given to a person or a group of people, typically involving travel abroad. What a great definition, just straight out of the English dictionary. And of course, in Matthew 28, we have Jesus' great commission, the mission he gave us all together to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. But can I say this? Mission, our mission as disciples, as followers of Jesus Christ, It isn't about getting some sort of moral alignment 
getting people to morally align themselves. And unfortunately, that's a very disingenuous way that the gospel has been presented for a long, long time. You need to think the way I do. You need to live the way I do. At some point in early missionary journeys, they even made people wear white shirts just like they did. It's not about some form of moral alignment. It's actually about bringing Jesus into the middle of people's pain so that they actually have somewhere to anchor their heart to on their best day or their worst day. And it's up to Jesus what he does with their journey from that point. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 to 21. Paul talks about it. I want to have a look at this and try and help us get a grasp on our mission in the world, who we are to be day by day in the world, how that sort of works and plays out. And the Apostle Paul writes, Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling, and that word reconciling is to, is to bring people back together. That's literally what it means. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. When I talk about moral alignment, you have it right there. It's so interesting how I think the church has somehow built an image, again, of uh, you need to kick this, kick that, and get your life right. That's become our message. That ain't the message. <laughs> Actually, a far clearer message is, you know what? No matter how bad, good, bad or ugly you are, God's not bothered. He's put it aside. Oh, but I'm this, I'm that. Yeah, that's right. And God's put it aside. He's not going to count it against you. Why? Because he wants reconciliation. So yeah, all the bad, all the crummy stuff that you've done, or even this crummy stuff that you are, God's willing to put it aside for the sake of relationship. Because God's got this incredible confidence that once your life is connected to his, change is going to happen, man, <laughs> if you're authentic about that. And it's just, it's, it's sad. There's two things really, really wrong when we don't present the gospel pro properly. Number one, we're expecting people to jump to our moral high bar to come to Jesus. So it's Jesus plus, don't do this or do that. That's, that's one side of it. Uh, the, the saddest thing is that Jesus is the one that gives you the power to live different. So how can you expect people to live different until they get the power? <laughs> and God realises that. That's why he lays aside trespasses and stuff. I know you can't change. Get me and you will. I know you can't live above it or beyond it or break through it, whatever's containing you, whatever's chaining you down. I know you can't get free of it, so let's forget about that. Just plug in. Be reconciled. Come face to face with me, and you get a vision of me, and everything can change from that point. Another big problem is, I mean, that's a, the old message is a really difficult message to present. And it's funny, people are like, oh, are you rewriting the gospel? No, no, no. I'm just saying what Paul said. If God's not looking at people's lifestyles, why are we? <laughs> why aren't we saying be reconciled? Good news! Doesn't matter how messy you are. God's there for you. Oh, but what about... No. 
He's not worried about that. He just wants reconciliation. Anything else can happen. Anything else can change afterwards. But the key is you get Jesus first. And with Jesus comes the key to unlock your chains. Come on. I'll give you the keys to the... Well, you've got to get Jesus first. (laughs) And then he can unlock some change. So what is the gospel? We're looking at it and our mission. I better finish reading the scripture first. Paul goes on to say we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God, for he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And that is the whole point. God is not imputing our, our sins to us, or he's not accounting it into our you know, bank account, if we put it that way. He's not depositing that to us, because it was deposited to Jesus on the cross. And it wasn't because God was unkind and a cruel dad because Paul says right there in that scripture that God was in Christ. In other words, he took it on himself. You've got problems. You've got issues. You've got things that separate you from me. There is a gulf between us of brokenness. And so I'm going to take it all on me. I'll be the guilty one. You be the innocent one. Wow. Wouldn't that be powerful if we could do that in our relationships? (laughs) And so this is how the gospel works. It starts with him. This is mission. It begins with God. It doesn't begin with us. We didn't reach out to God. John says it so clearly. We love him. Because he, he first loved us. We didn't become lovable. He loved us into being hopefully more lovable, Stewie. You're lovable. You were always lovable. Some of us took a bit of work. So it start, God wasn't the angry one, in other words. Sometimes we've presented him as the angry one. God wasn't the angry one. We were. Paul says very clearly that God reconciled us to himself. If he was the angry one, he'd still be waiting for us to do something. (laughs) Does that make sense? So, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, he reached out to us. It all begins in him. This is a great faith thought when you're reaching out to friends in the marketplace. God's already at work. Don't step in somewhere saying, I better bring Jesus in here. He's already there. He's already at work. It's begun in him. And if your friend or your loved one, or if they're going to eventually walk head to head into Jesus, it'll be because God initiated it. And you've just got to cooperate. Well, that just makes it a whole heap easier. God is actively pursuing people. Actively pursuing people. Uh, Whenever I hear Christians talk about, oh, it's such a hard, dark world. Well, then God failed. If the mission of Christ in in the book of Ephesians, Paul outlines it very, very clearly, is to bring all things back together, to reconcile all things, to restore and renew all things. Well, then God wasted his life at the cross unless it's happening. 
<laughs> Some of you don't look convinced. God's already at work in your friends. Oh, but you don't know my friend. Don't worry, I've had a few just like it. God's already at work and he's just waiting for you to show up and say, hey, good news. There's a friendship to be had. And no, you don't need to stop that or start this or do that or don't do that. You don't need to do that. God's pursuing you. He's already on your case. We wouldn't even be having this conversation about God if he wasn't already on your case. Does that make sense? Second thing is he's committed to us the word of reconciliation. It begins with God and it happens in us. The disciples' mission begins with God and it happens in us. It's an internal thing. It's our experience. It should become our story. More than that, it's got to become a pattern of life for us. I just wonder in this group of people right here and online, who has received, who believes they've experienced forgiveness from God at any point in their life? A lot of yo's, a lot of hands now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, then that's it. It happens in you. That's the message. What did you experience? That's the message. That's the message. It's simply that. You can be forgiven. How do you know? I was. Do you ever worry about people that never seem to do anything wrong or they don't think they do anything wrong? You know what I mean? You talk about struggles and stuff and they look at you like, I wouldn't know. Like half of you are looking at me right now. No, I'm not, no, that's not true. That's not true. You've been very sympathetic today. I worry about people like that because I don't think for a moment it's because they don't mess up. I just think that their conscience is dull. The sharper your conscience becomes attuned to God, the more likely you are to realise your need of a saviour. It doesn't get less urgent, it gets more urgent. The older I get, Tim, it gets more urgent. As I said, that phone call, it was, they were just reminders. Oh man, people need Jesus. I need Jesus. It's got to happen in me. As I said before, imagine God took whatever was in the way and owned the guilt and shame of it on the cross to restore relationship. As I said before, imagine if we did that in our relationships because that's what we're called to do. Well, I'm just going to wait until they... I'm expecting a phone call. You'll be waiting for a while, for sure. No, no, no. God actively pursued us, so we actively pursue others. And it's got to begin in our personal relationship. You cannot share something you're not living. You cannot talk about reconciliation unless you are reconciliatory. You're someone who goes after that. You, you look to bring healing into your relationships. You look to bring healing for others in their relationships. Whatever you can. God is a God of reconciliation. And no matter how politicised that word might be, found it in the Bible first. God likes to bring people together, first to himself and then to one another. That's why you can't stay offended. There's going to be plenty in life to offend you. I've probably already offended you this morning, maybe. But you can't stay offended without being deceived. <laughs> because if you've received forgiveness and then you don't give it, 
then it's a self-deception that it doesn't apply to you. So have you ever met someone who's stuck in a fence and they might be okay in this area, that area, but every now and then something touches on that bruise and all this rubbish springs up? It's choking the life out of them. Because we're called to live reconciliatory lives. If we're going to preach forgiveness, we've got to live forgiveness. You've got to forgive me, Tommy. You've got to forgive me. It's funny, we had some, uh, some old neighbours drop, drop in on us yesterday afternoon. And uh, he said, you're the pastor, aren't you? They're fairly new neighbours. You were the pastor, weren't you? He was trying to work out which neighbours he had met. I said, yep. We had a little bit of a chat and he just had a bit of a funny dig. He's a funny fella. But, but you know, in our society, just as you expected to. Yeah, he had one of them. One of them was a Judas, wasn't he? I said, yeah. He said, you're not, you're not that one, are you? <laughs> you know what I had to say? Actually, I fear sometimes I may have been. It just changed the whole tone of the conversation because he was expecting this sort of self-righteous, like, no, not I, Lord. Well, actually, have I ever let Jesus down, not stood for him when I could have? Yeah, that's me. We're having afternoon tea with him now. It sort of opened things up a bit. Have an afternoon tea. We'll see how we go this afternoon. Come on, we've got to live in a place. Of, we've got to recognise our need. And the more we recognise our need for forgiveness, the more gracious we are to those around us. People who aren't gracious to people around them have not yet had a, a revelation of their own brokenness. So the message, the mission, it happens in us. And then lastly, it overflows to our world. So how does it work? It originates with God. It's got to be at work in us. And if we let it work in us, it will overflow. It will overflow. I'm receiving forgiveness. I'm giving forgiveness. And it's just going to flow out and keep going into my world. We are ambassadors for Christ. And listen to Paul's language. As though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So this mission of the disciple has got to overflow. You know that ambassadors, when you think about ambassadors, they're selected because they've got particular character traits. They're diplomats. They're what we call diplomats. They're the highest level. Ambassadors are the highest level, basically, of, of diplomats. And uh, here's the definition of diplomat, a person who can deal with others in a sensitive and tactful way. It's just so like the church, isn't it? <laughs> and when you look at ambassadors or diplomats on that high level, they're actually noted as being cool-headed, aren't they? They're there because they don't burr up. They're there because they're probably the one least likely in the room to freak out. They're the ones who can keep a straight face no matter what comes their way. So like the church, isn't it? And we're called to be that. And yet Paul adds something. You could almost say they're non-emotive, but not in Paul's definition. Paul says, you're an ambassador, but even though, if I could put it this way, even though you don't burr, out, burr up and freak out and react, you're passionate about your mission. You plead with people. Be reconciled. 
and it's not a matter of what God has to do. God's already done it. It's are you going to step into what he's created, this opportunity of restoration, of reconciliation, of reconnecting to a creator who can actually bring change that you long for. The things that threaten you and trap you and control you, that can bring, he can bring release to that. And here's an invitation. Will you step into the opportunity he's created to be reconciled? And Paul uses this language to plead, plead with you. What's the disciples' mission? It's actually to reconcile people back to God. But it's not about them jumping through hoops, performing, being someone that God could accept. God's already done that stuff. Romans 5.8, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. God's already reconciled it in his mind. Sometimes we have to reconcile it in ours. But could God touch that person? Yes. But you don't know. Yep, no, I know. But God does. And our mission is simply wherever we are to share Christ, to say, this is good news. This is good news. I thought God was after me with a big stick. Actually, no. That's not the message. It's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that you're the angry one, not him. He absorbed all your pain on the cross. That's what it was all about. So that you could actually be reconciled to him. Here's a couple of questions for us. And just before I ask them, you know, our, our missions this year earlier we launched it and it was reimagine what's in your hand that was the whole thought reimagine what's in your hand can I change that for today I want us to think about reimagining what's in our heart not what's in your hand what's in your heart what's God done in you that's your message being gracious to you that's your message giving you forgiveness that's your message Giving you hope, that's your message. Giving you a sense of future, vision, possibility, my life can change. That's your message. Giving me healing, giving me freedom, lifted my thinking. What's God done in you? That's your message. That's your message. God's your friend. It just makes it a lot easier to share Jesus. When we don't see people through a little narrow thing of this is what they need to be to be acceptable or pleasing to God. It's like, no, 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 God's already accepted them. Now invite them to the party. What did Jesus say? Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. People have been invited the first time round, don't want to come, fine. Go out again. Keep inviting the disciples' mission. You might have friends in your, in your world that, man, I've tried, to, I've tried to reach them. I've tried to, well, pray for them and go round them to the next person. Can we all agree we don't have pet pagans? Come on. I've got, I've got friends outside of Christ who've got me as their pet pastor. I hate it. It's like, I'm okay because I know you. And sometimes, you know, as Christians, we, we can have the person that we're going to reach out to for the rest of our life and they're never going to come. And sometimes we just got to love them, pray for them, 
and reach out to someone else. Just keep reaching out. The disciples' mission, the disciples' mission is not to learn more about God. You'll do that on the way. That'll happen on the journey. I'm absolutely confident we'll all grow in Christ when we're doing the one thing he told us to do. Reach out, reconcile, bring people back into relationship with one another and with God. Have I made the point this morning? A couple of questions just for us to think about it. First one's really honest. I'd like to think I occasionally ask an honest question. That was a joke. Does knowing that God is actively pursuing me make me want to stop and engage or run away? (laughs) You can be honest with that one. If you've never thought about running away, I'm not sure you've ever really actively engaged God. (laughs) Come on, who's had their world turned upside down by their engagement with God? But after a while you work out it was turned up right, right way up. Is that true? At first it's like, man, this knowing Jesus thing is turning my whole world upside down. And then you realise, no, no, my world was upside down. Jesus just turned it right way up. But if we, if we haven't thought about running away from the claims of Christ on our life, we've never seriously considered them. Second thought, have I received forgiveness or, it just a concept, or is it just a concept I aspire to? It can be easy just to believe the right stuff but to not actually live in it or own it. So I just encourage you. I mean, if this is the core of your message, I've been reconciled, I've been forgiven. We've got to get that bit right. Here's an indicator. Do I still feel guilty about my past? There's an indicator. Because when Jesus died on the cross, it wasn't just for sin. He fulfilled all the Old Testament requirements. One of those was a guilt offering. Which means when you get Jesus, and this is what the writer of Hebrews says, he's even able to purge your conscience. So if we're still thinking about the past, we've got to question whether we've actually received forgiveness. Because when we actually receive forgiveness, then we've really got a message. It's like, man, I know God can forgive you. How do you know that? Because boy, he's forgiven me a lot. And lastly... How am I involved in promoting reconciliation toward God? How are we doing it? You know, we just, I brought missions into it a little bit today because our mission has to overflow out of our own homes, or out of our own streets, even into other lands. You know, our missions partners, for example, in Sri Lanka, which is really doing it tough at the moment, tough with, with power outages and in some areas up to seven hours a day. You know, we're complaining about fuel prices. Anyone not complaining about fuel prices? I see, I see 98 just went to uh, $2.40 something, which means my little car doesn't get driven quite as much as it was. Well, how about not being able to get petrol? How about riots in the street and unrest? And yet our missions partners are committed to doing discipleship conferences and training leaders in the middle of all that. That's one way that we do promote reconciling people to God. But how do we own it individually? Where am I promoting reconciliation to God?
God loves you. God's not holding things against you. God's waiting for you to open your side of the door because His is wide open.